welcome to the Growing Pains Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Delavaneri. Every entrepreneur has a unique story. The Growing Pains Podcast is all about unveiling and reverse engineering those stories. Through hearing the hardships, failures, and successes, we hope to educate, inspire, and connect the entrepreneurial community of Lakeland. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Jordan, for, for people that don't have any any context um, of what Smart Inbound is, mm-hmm. what's, what, what's your elevator pitch? Like, what, what does Smart Inbound do for its clients? Certainly. So Smart Inbound Marketing is a consultancy, and we provide inbound marketing services. And what that means is we develop educational content and automated funnels to help a brand not just generate immediate leads and burnout, but build a foundation of expertise that automatically increases leads over time. So I know that uh, you took a different approach to building this business than I think what a lot of entrepreneurs do. In fact, just even hearing your story, like what we were just talking about, makes me makes me start to even even not question, but make sure my goal is deliberate mm-hmm. and, and deliberately mine, not not like influence from other places. Mm-hmm. So you know, intuitively, I would say that you probably didn't necessarily start out there. Mm-hmm. You uh, you went through some stuff that that kind of aligned you with this path. And when you were on it, you knew that this was different than any other path you'd been mm-hmm. on. And you're going, this is definitely the way for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, you know, I know you built the business to work for you and the life you want. It seems like your stint at Maximize Social Media um, really shaped that approach. Um, specifically, the time you spent as CEO of that company, I think that you you mentioned they were up to 20 employees, um, about 50, you know, good-sized clients, and you were doing that job and it made you, made you kind of, kind of question the path you're on. So starting out, let's talk about like the time leading up to you taking that role. And then, and then what, what that role was like and what kind of brought you to this new conclusion. Starting at 16 was when I started learning to build a website for my own silly projects and Facebook had just started to become popular and learning how to use that as a marketing tool. And through college, I had the very classic young entrepreneurial dream of, I can't wait until my startup office is in Silicon Valley and I can't wait until I have to worry about seed funding. And uh, I went through college thinking that way and I got plugged into the Lakeland community of business leaders. And I had some incredible mentors um, that I still talk to this day and and care for dearly. One of them uh, hired me as an intern in a digital marketing company. And uh, I started to learn more skills there. Uh, became a paid employee. And then when the current CEO left, uh, I was given the opportunity to take that position. The agency at the time was really created to scale quickly and be sold. The strategy changed into let's build something long-term and useful. And so during that shift, we really started to struggle. And that's when I took over as CEO. And I was able to get that agency to stop a downward movement and and turn into something that could be sustainable. But I realized that I did not have the skills at that age to turn this into a growth agency. And that was um, something that I had to learn the hard way and uh, really, really burned myself out on trying to learn that skill at the same time of keeping, uh, you know, the employees paid. And so after that experience, a, we sold the company and a new CEO came into place who's done such a good job of, of keeping that um, company going. And I had to think about what I was going to do next. 
And it moved quickly away from, um, wow, do I want to do that type of management work again into, do I want to be a creator? I've learned with, with all the groups that I've started, including something as small as the Lakeland Lancers rugby team. Like I, I was able to create a vision there, bring people on, get it from zero to up and running as, you know, a competitive team, but I, I'm not good at managing that moving forward. And so that was really valuable for me to know. I, I can create things and then I need to find players who can manage that and, and keep that running. So that moved from, hey, do I want to take over a business or grow a business where I'm managing versus can I start something where I get to create and strategize and directly help other clients? So you, you used a word in there. You said, I'm not good at that. Mm. You know, would you say that you're not good or you don't like it? Mm. Because I think that there's, there's a, a, sometimes the things that we're the best at are also the things we like the most. <laughs> and sometimes the things that we're not the best at are the things that we don't like the most. Mm-hmm. So what would you say about that? Would you say that that's... I think that's, you know, maybe that's something we ask the employees and figure out if I was good at it or not. But uh, yeah, I certainly wasn't, you know, fired up about it. And I do believe that people maybe have strengths and weaknesses and we can certainly turn those weaknesses into strengths. Um, but I do enjoy playing off those strengths better. So did I not enjoy it? That's probably the truth. What I, was I good at it? I would say average, at least like I certainly could have done it. That's a good way to put it. Well, well, and I would say that probably anybody can will themselves through anything. Mm -hmm. I think that like what I find really interesting about that stage of your life is you were okay with not liking that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I think that, that more of us have got to give ourselves a license to be okay with the things that we just don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you said, and what I was specifically using that against was you said, you know, I, I, um, starting the organization, um, getting it to originate and getting it to a point of viability is something I'm good at. Mm -hmm scaling the organization or building it beyond that point is something I'm not good at. Mm. And I started to think, I'm like, well, you know, if you've got the whereabouts to originate, okay, you probably could get good at the next steps, Mm. but it's a very different series of steps. Okay. One is about thinking through something, bouncing ideas and collaborating. The next thing is, is about finding people, Mm. um, training people, managing people, and, and, you know, honestly, as I was listening to you, like, that's the piece of my job that I, I struggle mm-hmm. with loving is, 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 is that piece of it. I like the internalized piece. I don't, I don't, you know, the, the other side is not, um, is not something I gravitate mm-hmm. to as much. In fact, as I think about my own, my own weaknesses, it's where a lot of my weaknesses exist. You know, so, I mean, you kind of just knew through doing it that you didn't love this or didn't love that aspect of it, but had the courage to channel that into action. Well, and the word necessity comes to mind after you say that, like there's certainly parts of the job that are absolutely necessary and you don't think twice about doing them because it's, it's work. And there was a big push for, you know, find your passion and, um, Gary V hustle porn is what I call it on YouTube. Um, and I I don't like that because it, it, you need to have work and, and not everybody is blessed to, um, work on their passion all day long because there's, I don't think anybody's passionate about the laptop screen for 10 hours a day. That's really tough. And so if one of your quote unquote weaknesses um, is a necessity, then I think you do it with, without, you know, a second thought because it allows you to keep the rest of the stuff in place. Well, you know, and, and I, it, it kind of even goes back to that, like, is happiness a uh, right or is the pursuit of happiness your right? 
Um, and, and, you know, and, and really it's the pursuit of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that so many of us have convinced ourselves of this, this one phrase, life's too short to not be happy. Mm. Okay. And, and the reality is the expectation that you're always going to be happy, you're you're going to enjoy 100% of what you will do. Yeah, that is probably an unrealistic mm -hmm. expectation that many of us internalize and that mm -hmm. we use it as our fuel um when we say I'm not doing that anymore because mm -hmm. I'm you know because life's too short to not be happy and I'm not happy today. Yeah. Um but you know most of the people that I know that love their day to day, they did not love it on day 1. Mm -hmm. Um it had it was a deliberate journey. Um, you know, so I think what I'm interested in, in kind of segueing into is, you know, you, you started off on this journey for you of, of determining a piece of a job that you didn't like, and then you kind of sought to, to, to build something that you did love. Okay. When you, when you sought to build it, did you think that you'd be traveling like you, like you are like traveling for a portion of the year? Was that, like, did you sit down and say, Hey, one of the things I want to be able to do is to be able to leave Lakeland for a quarter each year. Mm -hmm. Or, or did that just, was that something that just formed as you started putting this together? Looking back, I think it was an integral part of the strategy of building this business. And so, um, I'd had the opportunity to do stuff before that on and off, you know, not just travel, which is kind of everybody leans that way is like, that's the goal is travel, travel. But I think it's more, um, having the ability to go on an adventure, whether that's sitting still or not, or learning new experiences. Um, when you're done learning, you're done growing and, and, you know, almost, you know, you mentioned the pursuit of happiness. Um, not only is that a right, like that's the goal, because once we get to the top of the mountain, we're going to find another mountain. That's human nature. It's a beautiful thing. So if you can keep learning and being like, you know, what is next? Um, that is so much fun. And so I did build it around uh, the things that I wanted to do and experience. And um, that's capped certain parts of business growth, income growth, strategy. And I'm just fine with that because um, I, I'm truly content. You know, I can go work with my disaster response group and email my clients and say, I'm going to be gone for two weeks and here's how I'm going to continue to serve you. And I appreciate you letting me be this flexible and that's it. And uh, we build these businesses that enslave us is a, a tough word, but um, we really feel that sometimes. And I've decided to give up a lot of rewards for a, a more intrinsic internal value system. And, and I, we mentioned before, I, I fight those feelings every day that I, um, I need more of this. I'm working on status. I, uh, I, I'm thinking about what others think about me and it's important. I truly don't believe those. That's an instinct. And so it, it, it can make me feel a little bad when I'm thinking, hey, I'm not really pursuing those. But, you know, when I'm out in the woods or driving the country, um, I know what is, is more important to me. And you know what? It's, it's the people. It is, it's not the travel. It is that I get to see my friends from third grade every summer. It's that uh, when I get back to Lakeland, I have the freedom to meet um, and, and enjoy some time with some of the people that are so close to me. And so, um, you know, when you figure out your value system, which is more than I want to cross things off my list, it's, it's more so like, I want to help this group over time. I want to uh, see these people and um, keep these feelings. Then um, you can really build around that. Well, exactly. You know, and, and it sounds like when you, when you started down this path, you know, we, we always say, you know, like, don't put up, don't put up walls, don't box yourself in, mm -hmm. you know, stay open. 
But in some ways, if you if you figure out your value system and then you use that to form the the box that becomes your life, and you say, no, these are some hard rules. You know, like like mm-hmm. for me, like one of the ones I'm working on right now is I'm really trying to make a hard rule in my life that I spend a two hour one on one with each of my kids each mm-hmm. week, and that's it's it's coming out of sacrifice. And I'm finding it hard to do and mm-hmm. and come up with stuff to do that's not overly expensive, so that it's it's something I can continue to do and something that doesn't take away too much family time. But, you know, I never really started out putting up those types of walls to box me in. Mm. And actually, like, I've only done it now for, for maybe three or four weeks, but I feel happier. Mm. I feel I feel like, you know, in some ways, like I'm being more successful at the person I want to become. And, and, you know, I think what you were touching on was you said you had to give up some rewards. And, and really what I read in that is I had to... I had to make sure that the rewards I was going after were the rewards I wanted. Mm. Um, and so I think really what you're saying is, is I have to consciously shuck societal pressure and societal expectation mm-hmm. and the rewards that society tells me that are important. Um, and, and that's easy to say in a moment when you're thinking about it. Um, but when someone's uh, driving that fancy car that you think is cool mm-hmm. or, you know, someone's expanding their business or someone's doing something that you find admirable and and that's not a reward you're pushing for, you start to question, is my value system right? Because you you do, just because you've defined that that's not part of your value system doesn't mean that it's not still, you know, still catching your eye a little mm-hmm. bit. And you got to remind yourself, no, that's not what we're working for. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I struggle with that, with that piece of it too. Um, and I suspect that many of us do. I think that many of the entrepreneurs I actually talk to haven't, haven't defined that value system out. Um, I know that, that at my age, I, I am still in some ways trying to separate society's value system from my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the later in life that we wait to ask ourselves those questions, the more convoluted that the answer becomes. And mm-hmm. it takes a lot of unpacking to figure out it, it like, is this truly what I want? Or is this what I think I want? Something that made that easy when I was younger, early 20s, is I would find people that I looked up to or in a, a another way, find people that did not get the results I wanted. So sometimes I would get into a room um, with a, a certain type of person that followed maybe society's rules or pushed themselves to the limit and you can tell from their aura how unhappy and unhealthy they are. And I don't know if, if they see that consciously or not, but I went, wow, um, as exciting as it seems to blaze a path forward in the standard way, look what that gets you. And there's a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying, and it's by a nurse who would talk to people on their deathbed. And of course, the answer is always, I I wish I didn't work so much. I wish I spent more time with family. One of them was, I wish I had the courage to uh, ignore what people expected of me and do what I actually wanted to do. And uh, even though we don't feel that inside sometimes, like logically we got to go, okay, if that's what we're hearing at the end of the line, like, gosh, I should really implement some of that. Well, you know, and maybe, maybe what, what a, what a key component of that, of that um, awareness is, is at the end of our lives, we're forced to stop. For mm-hmm. the for the first time in our in our life, um, it's no longer a choice. Mm-hmm. You're forced to slow down, and through that slowing down process, you got more time on your hands and more time with your thoughts, mm-hmm. and you start to unpack who you are and what you want. And I think that's why those epiphanies come late in life, and what follows those epiphanies quickly is the regret. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that it, that 
peace right there is what I, I feel like I'm constantly fighting toward. And I don't know if I'm, if I have safeguarded my, my future self from the regrets of now, but I can tell you this, I'm leaving it all in the field. I mm-hmm. ask myself those questions. I do a, you know, a hard, a hard deep dive of, of, of like, am I on my path? You know, at least once a year I'll spend, I'll spend a day usually on my birthday, I take the day off and don't talk to really anybody yeah. and I just do like a self check, you know, but it's hard. I, I do all of that and I still have questions like, mm. it, you know, am I, am I going in the right path? Mm. You know, so sounds like for you, you, you do feel like that is, did you know that being alone in the woods was going to be one of those things? Or is that like one of those happy things you figured out on the path? I've always found incredible healing and joy in nature. And I think a lot of people could benefit from a lot more of it. When I tell people that I'll do, you know, seven day solo hikes, they are shocked that I'm not doing that with somebody else. That can be a real joy to do that with somebody else. But when you are alone and your cell phone is not in your hand and all you can do is talk to yourself, um, that's where the real work comes out. And it's uh, really nice to do that when you are hiking on a path. I I just love it because it's so simple. There is a start and a goal in mind. And your job that day is to just get there. It's to put one foot in front of the other. And that when you get to camp, that fills you with joy. And through the hike, you're able to think about all these things that you don't have time to think about day to day. And so I, I grew up, you know, in the outdoors and I've always loved it, but there, the concept of the hero's journey is something that I really follow in psychology. And it's the story of star Wars and pretty much every movie that ever was successful is Um, somebody is, uh, called to adventure and they struggle through something and then they get a reward and then they help the world with it. And if I'm ever really, really burnt out or feeling really low, I will do a mini hero's journey by getting called into the woods, struggling through it, finding the success and, and bringing that strength back into the world where I can be more joyful and more focused and more healthy and and I think that's so psychologically important. And so there, that will be a part of my life forever is when I need to go into nature, uh, I will make that happen. When, when you're, when you're in solitude like that, does, does that introspection immediately start for you? I don't think I've ever been alone for seven days. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, I'm just kind of thinking through, I'm like, I don't know that I've ever been alone <laughs> with my thoughts for seven days. Yeah. One day, one day is about as much as I get. <laughs> but, you know, I once read um, that my, I want to say it was Matthew McConaughey is a big, big fan of this. When he's got something hard he wants to work through, he'll mm-hmm. hole up for a mm-hmm. week, two weeks until, until the, until it, he feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that, you know, usually by the end of the first week when he hasn't talked to anybody and he's been, been kind of inside his own head, you know, is when he starts to find clarity. And sometimes in between the end of week one and the end of week two is when everything starts to feel clear and he feels like I can, I can shift back to that mental place. You know, what kind of a process takes place with you when you, when you go on these kind of like walkabouts? Day one and two is always the hardest because we are quite addicted to our technology. And, and by the end of night one and two, you are just thinking about your phone. It's pretty nuts. By day three, you wake up and the birds are chirping and you know what you're supposed to do that day. And it starts to become really, really peaceful. So um, I, I would say by the end of day seven, I'm certainly ready to get back to you know, quote unquote, real life or whatever you want to call it. But um, in the middle of that, there is um, so much good work being done. Even if you're not thinking about the real things, your brain 
finally has a chance to turn off YouTube and think about its own creation and its own problems. And you can get solved through that stuff. And I'll journal on that trip. Like that's really nice to take a journal. And even if you're writing just how you hiked, you will get insights out of that. And so um, I really do like the idea of it will be a struggle in the beginning for sure. Um, and then you get used to it and you become your own friend again. And then when you come out of that, you keep that for quite a long time. I like that, you know? So really, if you're not in a, maybe in a position to take off the seven days, like find a way to be still for, for, for a period of time, you know, and, and sounds like you need immersion though, for to, to really get there. It's not like a one day, one afternoon. It's a multi-day thing. Yeah. And, and I, I do do three day trips and that gets enough. So it's, you know, you take off a Friday and you go out early and the first night is tough. And um, then Saturday becomes a little easier. And by Saturday night, you're really involved. And then Sunday, um, I, I like Sundays because the food and water you've brought is empty. And so your shoulders and your pack are literally lighter than when you came in. And so you're hiking on Sunday lighter than when you entered. And, and that transfers into coming back into the real world lighter. I love that. I love that. Okay. So you find this out about yourself, um, you know, through this journey. Okay. And you, you, so you've left, left the company that, that you were at as a CEO and you're, and you're getting the idea for smart inbound. How long does it take you to start smart inbound after this? I would say that, man, it takes about five years for you to get good at what you're doing. At 10,000 um, hours. Absolutely. And establishing a, a name for yourself and building some trust. I mean, it's such a bummer that there's so many people selling online courses that you can get, you know, fully established as a business owner in three months. And there are, you know, flukes all over the place. And there are certainly industries where that's possible if you've got some really good sales skills. But I didn't feel comfortable until about five years in and I'm probably on eight right now and I can't wait till 10 because I'm, you know, just this year, I really started to hone down on the exact services that I'm good at and providing. And we talked about um, our value system kind of boxing us in. If you can figure that out in business, you're going to be so much more successful. And that's pretty common is, you know, you can sell to the masses, but if you eliminate a lot of that target market and say, here's who I'm actually going at, it actually opens up your, you know, your sales pool so much because you can communicate better. And, um, instead of calling every business in America, you're calling only plumbing companies with five employees. And then suddenly you're really on track. And so, um, I'm still working on that, but it's become more and more fun every year. Well, and I think that the reason that that is a process to figure out, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, the business that I run is, is 30 years old and we are still mm. defining some of those things is I, I think that you just don't know all the pockets of the markets you could serve. I mean, I think when we start a business, we think everybody is our customer. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's what pretty much every entrepreneur I talk to every, every person, any person with a pulse and, and, and money to spend mm -hmm. is someone that's our customer, but sometime between starting and doing that, and for some people, they figure it out rather quickly. Me, me I'm, I'm slower than the average bear. It's taken <laughs> me a little while. But, you know, at some point you figure out that there's only certain things that you do well. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like, and there's no company that is all things well. In fact, even, even for inbound marketing, mm -hmm. there, there's a whole gambit of different types of companies that fit a different type of solution. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, your solution is very unique, which we're going to, we're going to get, get into that in a minute, but I would almost make the argument and I, and I'm going to prove that argument here in a few minutes that a larger company really couldn't compete with you. Mm. Couldn't, mm -hmm. there's no way. 
because um, if I have a customer that's dealing with me as the owner, there's no way you're hiring somebody that's going to outdo me, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Or that's going to outserve me or mm-hmm. is going to care about it more than me. You're just not going to. Mm-hmm. So it'd be impossible for you to really compete with me mm-hmm. if I am the person who holds the client relationship and the product, really? okay? But but some some point down this down this path, you figure out you've onboarded a lot of people that do not value what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, that, that group of people that doesn't value what you have to offer is going to take up a lot of your time and resources trying to make you into the thing they value, mm-hmm. okay? Whereas if you just had defined what your unique value prop is from the beginning and then sought out a market that already values that, that unique value prop, man, th- then it's a nice, smooth fit. Okay. And, and you're not, you're not selling the unsellable on something they don't need, mm. want, or understand. You're talking to a group of people that you uniquely solve the problem that they're facing. Mm. I wish I had a blueprint for how to start there. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, I think is learning your market and figuring out what they want. That was my thought too, is how nice would have that been year one? Um, but you probably just can't do it. I, I mean, you'd have to have an incredible context of your market mm. in order to do it year one. I think the kind of people who do it year one are people who are on their second or third business or have spent a career in that market mm-hmm. and are now becoming business owners in there. And they already kind of uniquely know where they want to fit in. Um, but the average person getting into something new, I agree with you. I think it takes the five years or 10,000 hours of, of number one, figuring out what it is you do well, because I, I don't think you're there day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you employed a tactic that I am a huge fan of. Um, and I, I do it in just about everything I'm involved in, um, to get good, to figure out your client base, figure out what it is they even value. And that was giving away some of your services, not at full retail. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I I don't know that you necessarily gave away for free. Um, but, but I, I definitely know that you probably were not selling it at what you would sell it at today. So what was your, what, what led you there? And like, was that, did that just feel natural to you or you know, what, what got you there? Cause I think a lot, there's, there's two people in these camps. I get a lot of people. It's like, don't give away your time for free ever. Okay. Um, but I think more people are starting to come over to this camp cause they see the value in it. Yeah. When I started smart inbound and I needed to build some sort of, you know, client base or relationships, I did offer, uh, either free services or highly discounted. And I would say, you know, Hey, pay me something. So this feels like an exchange of value. And that helps me. I don't know if I could have done, you know, bill right away for everything. I think that is super overconfident because I wasn't good at it in the beginning. I had to learn how to do it. And, and if you make somebody pay for something that you're not good at, there goes that relationship forever. Um, but if you have the ability to learn at the same time that you're providing more and more valuable, uh, you know, services over time, I think that's really smart. And so, no, we don't do that forever. And you do eventually have to take the plunge and say, well, now I'm worth X. And um, some people respect that and some people don't. But my favorite story of struggling through that is driving two hours to give an email marketing workshop to like a $50 million healthcare company and then driving home. And then I sent them an invoice for $25 because I thought that was my hourly rate to help this $50 million company grow their sales over time. And they laughed in the office together and then paid my bill. And I went, wow, uh, maybe I should ask somebody for some advice here about what to actually charge or um, what am I actually worth? So, hey, maybe there's some overconfidence in the beginning if you're billing right away, um, but also watch out for underconfidence. And that's something I struggled for a long time is um, what is this service actually worth um, and what am I actually worth? And try and get a realistic hold on that because if you don't, again, those 
those bridges are going to be burned. And I'd much rather have a client that pays me X over 10 years than pays me X times 10 for one year. And then, you know, never comes back to me again. That makes sense. Well, and, and you know what, what I, what I, what I respect about that is like, when are you an expert at something? Mm. Okay. Like, and, and that's, and that's a hard question for, for an entrepreneur to answer because there's not like there's a certification where they rubber stamp you and you've gone from, mm-hmm. from novice to, to expert. I mean, like, you know, when do you know that now is the time, you know, and, and I, I think the only thing that you can do, I don't think there's a, there's a clear answer for that, but I think it's somewhere in when you're delivering value for your clients, mm. I mean, your clients will tell you, are they happy with the product, the service? Yeah. Like, are they asking for changes? Yeah. And if they're not, then maybe that's your sign mm. that, that, okay, now is the time when it might be time to monetize. Was that a hard um, segue? It was a hard segue because it's hard to get results. And I've mentioned this in sales meetings before is, you know, hey, you're going to have a, a, an agency pitch to you next week and they're going to tell you that everything they does works. And, and that's probably not so true. And, and our work, half of what we're going to do isn't going to work. And then we're going to find the half that does based not only on my expertise, but the tests that we run over time together get us better data. When a client says, hey, what results can I expect from you on, on month one? I <laughs> clients hate the answer, but I don't know. But by month three, I do know. So give me three months to figure out your industry, to test some services. And then we have a better shot at that. You know, I, I took a certification course for chainsaw work for this disaster response group over the weekend. And one of their principles was the perpetual student. So I don't know if, if an expert is ever a word I'm really going to use. Um, but my, my skill base and tactics are growing exponentially. My past experience that I can learn from is growing a lot. Um, and, and I, so I think that's a lot more important is like, Hey, maybe I'm not, um, on day one able to execute this incredible thing for you, but look at how fast I can learn and adjust and work with you to find out what works for you versus um, you are a checklist of 50 clients every Monday morning. You know, I'm not here to do marketing for you. I'm here to grow your business. So if you hire an agency that says we do marketing, um, well, then that means you're doing social media posts or you're doing email. But if you hire a consultant to grow your business, that means month one, I'm doing those services. Month two, I'm switching into these services. And we got to track that and make sure they work together. Um, and, and be comprehensive about that. So expertise, I believe, is more looking at the past of what worked and what hasn't and try to implement new tests faster and more effectively versus I'm going to come and, and give a workshop to your business and act like I know what's going to work right away because uh, not many people do. Yeah, well, and I, and I would say uh, it would be an oversell. How could you? Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you only specialize in one type of industry, and that's your bread and butter, right. you know, and as you were talking about, you know, how do you define an expert? You know, what, what kind of came to my mind was maybe it's the number of and complexity of the problems that you've worked on mm-hmm. solving. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe that's when it starts to really define if you're ready or not. You know, if you, if, if you've been doing something for three years and you've worked on exactly one type of problem over those three years, then you might be an expert on that one problem. And if you can build a business around solving that one problem, then kudos, you're on mm-hmm. the right track. But for many businesses, it's not one problem. It's mm-hmm. many problems and you build off of problem A to solve problem D. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so, and so the breadth of the problems you've solved really matters. So if you paired that 
with the giving your services away at a discounted rate, and you really sought out clients that had uniquely difficult problems to solve, mm-hmm. um, and you were doing it at a at a price they couldn't refuse, mm-hmm. well, then you would build up your expertise rather quickly compared to your contemporaries that are trying to, to get paid full rates mm-hmm. for problems they've never solved before. So I was just thinking, I was like, you know, that might be the strategy somewhere in there is like, What's the unique problem I want to solve? Find find people with those problems and then be able to tell I've solved these problems when I'm going after my paid work now. I think that's brilliant. And I've heard the term, you know, a T-shaped entrepreneur where the top bar means you're competent and jack of all trades in a lot of things because you have to have knowledge even to communicate to employees what they need to do. But then that downward line is like, here's the thing I'm really, really good at. And um you know, the results base that you said, the problem solving you base, it, 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 I don't mention my Google AdWords certification or my MBA because other entrepreneurs know that that is not, it doesn't matter. And they it's don't like even, silver bullet. certainly, yeah. and they don't hire people based on that, you know, um, good entrepreneurs versus big corporations hire on, Hey, you had these keywords, um, in your resume. So you're on our team and entrepreneurs are like, man, you didn't go to college, but look at this startup that you built. That's, that's making money. That's so cool. And so let's talk. I love that. You know, so I want to touch a little bit on, um, as we close a little bit on your angle with inbound. Okay. Cause I know that it's, it's a multi-prong approach. I mean, you're, you're focusing not just on the macro strategy of what we're trying to, what kind of leads we're trying to get onto the boat, but you're getting the website to work with the SEO, to work with the paid advertising, to mm. work with the email lead nurturing. And then you're mixing in like your social strategy in there. Mm. So I mean, it's, it, it's not, it sounds like a pretty comp, complicated system, but there's a lot of moving parts that drive those results. So you're, you're, I guess you're, what you're trying to do is understand what levers to pull for each business in order to get the results that they're after. I mean, so what, what is, what's your, um, I guess, what is your philosophy on how people should be thinking about the inbound leads that they're, that they're trying to generate? One of those things is I can run a Facebook lead ad for you to get a hundred leads in a month, or I can build a system that turns your brand into the expert over six months and clients that could respect the foundational brand building are absolutely key to inbound marketing because um, you can burn out that lead pool pretty quick. Um, but if you're an in inbound, you can turn um, strangers into leads and that's pretty infinite. So the, what you just mentioned of, you know, here's the inbound strategy. That's something that I could feel like an expert in because I've implemented that strategy over and over. Some of the tactics I could feel like an expert in over and over, but it's so customized based on the business. So the inbound funnel, I really respect. And now the industry is moving to almost a flywheel approach, mm-hmm. which is a bit harder to um, develop, but it it makes so much more sense because there are a thousand platforms and a thousand marketing tools and to get them to all work in a funnel can be really difficult, but um, you know, you can attract new people and then educate them and then the word that HubSpot uses, which is a, you know, kind of an inbound marketing uh, leader is delight. And you can delight people into sales, but you got to delight them as customers because then they turn into evangelists that continue your flywheel to spin. So I'm kind of moving into that thought. And my philosophy is, hey, we built this inbound funnel and, um, you know, look at this sales page that's converting at 20%. That's huge. 
look at this email campaign that's only have an open rate of 5%, that's pretty bad. So this month we're keeping the sales page, but we're gonna work really hard on inbound. So, or excuse me, on email. And so flipping those services in and out month to month really gets us to a program where all of these things are working in tandem. Okay, that makes sense. And you know, it's like one of the things that I, as a business owner, I have like a burning question on is, so online marketing, social media, it, I mean, I, I know it's not in its infancy still, but probably in the grand scheme of, of life, it's still pretty, pretty early on. Mm. Okay. So I think that where a lot of business owners feel like, oh man, I'm late to the game. Like we're, we're still buying beachfront property in Malibu uh, in, in some ways. How important is it that, that business owners get good at this now while it's still, I guess, young, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to continuing to wait to the, is, is there any, is there any, 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 I guess, risk in waiting a and B, how do you continue to stand out amongst your competitors? If everybody is doing a mm-hmm. similar strategy to mm-hmm. one another, I mean, like how is, how is one inbound strategy going to differentiate me from my competitor on the other side of town that might be running a very similar strategy? And, can you run a similar strategy mm-hmm. or is it really like everything is kind of uniquely yours? So there's not, not really a competing force there. Those are great questions. I think half of that is certainly if your competitor is doing inbound and you are um, just cause their commercials are running on TV. Doesn't mean that yours don't work when they're running on TV at the same time. You're just kind of sharing that pie. I'm not an early adopter of technology. So when TikTok came out, I just watched it. Now it is an absolute juggernaut. So now I'm saying, hey, clients, we need to get on this. We've seen what works. They have an ad, a paid ad platform now. So let's ride this wave as it matures. And so there's probably different people that, that work at a different rate of that. Um, the, the you know risk of starting at a platform that is just in its infancy is you might, it might crash and you... So if you would have started on TikTok two years ago when it was musically, yeah. um, it may not have ever made it. And so right. you might have pushed a lot of content and built a following on something that didn't pan out. Right. But if you were one of the ones that started two years ago and and it has made it at this point, mm-hmm. uh, you might have gotten a disproportionate amount of followers because the algorithms were more forgiving. Mm-hmm. And even if you're even if we're creating content for TikTok, I make sure to use that on other platforms and make sure that's available in other ways. So to go back to your other question, like, why is my inbound different? I am extremely focused on helpful education. And I just read an article today about like what gets most viral. And we were surprised about it that because, you know, a lot of it is um, astonishing, which is really, really tough to do in some industries is create an astonishing piece of content. If you do, that kills it for a long time. Um, some of it was, uh, you know, uh, helpful was number two. And so that's, um, that's something we can totally do. And number three was positive, which was really, really cool because you expect these negative articles to be shared a lot more, but that's not what people are doing. They might be consuming that um, because it's addicting, but the ones they're sharing, which is so important to inbound, um, make them feel good. So my inbound process is based upon positive education. And I think that has a long lasting effect on people um, versus here's how I'm trying to game the system to get those views. Uh, You know, that's a tough road to stay on for a long time. And it sounds like a part of your plan is um, just like if you were playing stocks, you maybe have some stuff that's that's Mm. solid investment that you put your big money into sounds like you've got a pool of this marketing money that you do try some mm-hmm. stuff out with. 
How should people be thinking about that mix? Because it, it sounds like, you know, what you got to be thinking about is your marketing money isn't all about creating you know, results for today. Some of it is about discovery mm. of what's going to create the results of tomorrow. Mm. How do you have people break up those budgets? That's a great question. Some of the clients are more interested in that than others. And it reminds me of the 80-20 rule. 20% of what you do day to day, 20% of your marketing brings you 80% of the results. I also think you could reverse that and say maybe 20% of your marketing needs to be experimental. Uh, as an agency or as a consultant, you need to be really upfront about that. And you need to say, hey, I would like to invest in this new tool. And we're going to find out if this works or not for you. Um, things like Spotify ads I've run, things like um, YouTube Six Seconds, things like Hulu. Um, we're now on you know, people's screens and it's harder to see the results of that. But clients that are really into long-term brand building go, you know, of course I want to be um, on Hulu where people are sitting on the couch glued to the screen. I understand the power of that like BMW does. They're not going to pick up the phone and buy a car but when they see your commercial 20 times and they're ready to buy a car, wow, it's BMW. Um, and so, you know, the client is interested or they're not, you can really convince them. But as an expert, I will, I will hear something from the client that they want to do. And my process is I will give my best advice that, that might go against that. Um, and they can integrate that um, and then come back to me as something. Um, and if they come back to me twice and say, this is really what I want to do, then I'm going to execute that for them. And then, you know, that keeps them happy. And maybe we can talk about results down the line, but I will always, always give as much helpful advice and opportunities for the client to try something new as I believe is important for that market. Do, do you think that companies should be diversifying their marketing money um, toward things that maybe are sales call to action and things that are brand building or should it all be brand is brand mm -hmm. really what's going to win. I mean, like what, what's the makeup there that you, that you think is, is you, I mean, I guess every industry might be a little bit different, but is there a, a good barometer? Should it be like 20% R and D 40% brand 40% sales? Mm -hmm. I have so much respect for direct salespeople um, that can take uh, a lead or even something cold and turn it into real business. Um, those are some rock stars. So it made me think of like, hey, I should probably get them some leads. And so that is half of what I'm doing, um, or maybe even less as a marketer, because the rest of it is foundational brand building that gets them leads six months from now. And so I don't want that to just run out. I don't want to um, either burn out my market on constant sales calls to action versus look at how much trust I've built. And suddenly they're calling that salesperson who can close that deal. All right. So as we close, you, you, you open up the door for the proto principle. So I can't, uh, I can't, I can't <laughs> leave it alone. Um, and since your, your, your expert field is marketing, if someone's listening to this today and they're not doing much within marketing, paid marketing, what is the 20% they could start with this week that's going to drive a good chunk of, you know, the 80% results. And I, you know, I get that maybe this one thing ain't going to drive 80%, but what's that, what's that one first step that you think, hey, this is going to bring a lot of value to you if you're not doing much right now? Mm. If I could answer that in three pieces, because the funnel really has reaching new people, engaging them, and then closing them, there's probably a 20% in each of those. If you're trying to reach new people, I would really encourage you to learn some sort of digital paid advertising. 
because there's nothing easier than turning the funnel on and immediately getting eyeballs that can tell you if what you're doing is working or not. So if you're trying to reach new people, try some digital advertising and pay for it because that's an investment in your long-term business success. If you're really trying to um, engage those people, it's intelligent content creation. And that is by far a mature um, marketing thing by now. So content is everywhere. And I, I don't like using that word because a, a lead doesn't want content. They want something helpful and valuable. That word means nothing, but it's a buzzword for marketers. And so creating a truly helpful piece of content that can be used over and over again. Oh, a great one that, that inbound really thrives on is if you're just starting with content, build an ultimate guide. And this is a 5,000 to 10,000 word blog article that you can link to for six months and break into pieces. And that has a huge SEO result um, because people are looking for that comprehensive thing. If you're trying to close, that's list building. So don't build your house on other people's land. If you have 20,000 Instagram followers, that can be shut off tomorrow because you posted something inappropriate or, or you lost, um, or Instagram goes under, like that's gonna happen, but you, you know what I mean. Um, and so collecting emails, um, getting people on your website and using that as a platform, not just a, a marketing business tool. Owning that list is really, really important. So if you can run paid ads to helpful content that builds a list, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Love it. Well, you got some really actionable advice in this. Really, really appreciate you taking the time to to just run through like it's everything from you know tactical advice to market our business, how we should be thinking about brand building you know, all the way down to defining your value system and like starting with what you're uniquely trying to do in your life um, before you build your business. I think there's just been so much to learn from this conversation. I can't wait to to follow up with you um, in the future and see see all the wonderful things that you're up to. Um, and uh, and personally, I just started on with you. So I can't wait to see uh, see what you do for our business, man. I'm honored. I love talking about this stuff and it's, uh, it's a joy to, to work with you and be here. So thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into the Growing Pains podcast. We hope that you've learned something new or been inspired by this week's episode. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to see more throughout your week. We thank you for your support and hope to see you next week.